0: podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the investors roundtable. I'm also playing a microcat podcast, but I made sure we're on the investors roundtable today. You know, but uh I'd like to welcome you all back to the show. Uh, I'm your host, Robert Kraft. You can follow me on Twitter at Bobby K Kraft. That's B-O-B-B-Y-K-K-R-A-F-T. Uh sorry, I'm going hat today. It's been, you know, it's an early morning with my with my uh, nine-month old, but uh, you know, we got after it. So, you know, I'm excited for everybody who's joining us today. Uh, our panelists. Our steam panelists, we got, we got a tight knit crew today, very tight knit, but that's important for what we're talking about right now. You know, you know, we don't have too many opinions on SPACs because I, I think you could just go on Fintwit and find too many opinions on SPACs, but we're going to try and we're going to try and, and and get into it a little bit today, but joining us again, we got Stephen Keel from Arquitos Capital. Stephen, always a pleasure. Thanks Bobby. And we got your own from one main capital. What's up your hey, own? Still on the beach.
1: Still on the beach
0: beautiful never, leave, never leaving
1: <laughs> good it looks that cold where you are it looks cold where you are i see i see little snow tips up there
0: you know i was telling somebody uh the other day like you know my apartment actually is in downtown and actually has this view but i decided i'd rather use the graphic that of the view instead of the actual background you know i think it made more sense yeah right
2: you surf in the morning and ski in the afternoon right
0: Oh, that's that's the epic day. I still have yet to do that. I had a couple of friends that have done that, and they've been pushing me to do it. But well, that, that's gonna ha- that's gonna happen soon. Assuming the uh, <laughs> assuming you get a babysitter. Babysitter. How far the drive?
1: Would it be? Let's say you surf in the morning. How far would it be to like I don't know, like Tahoe or where? Where would you drive to? Um, well, you
0: would take you take your chopper? The short, the chopper. Yeah, right. <laughs> the uh, the shortest, the the shortest to like the best ish quality is like you surf in the morning here and then you drive to big bear big bear big bear is like two and a half three hours away i mean or you could go to mountain high which is like i I think an hour hour and a half away i've never been to mountain high i've only done big bear but um know, you can do it come to california surf and ski same day let's do it but you know you might be able to get there one day and it might be through a spec. (laughs)
2: <laughs> because
0: facts are all you know it's a thing right now if
2: you're the sponsor yeah
0: <laughs> if you're the spot yeah sure right <laughs> maybe
2: not as the investor
0: <laughs> yeah exactly maybe i mean you know as you guys saw in my email you know i the topic that i had and, and this was when uh, i actually came up with the, this one myself believe it or not is uh was really stacks question mark what the hell's going on here because i i think we we all are uh as investors, it's kind of like, all right, I think I saw Shaquille O'Neal is now doing a SPAC. I mean, everybody's doing a SPAC. So, let's start off first. Let's give let's give a quick definition. You know what what is a SPAC? Maybe a little history too about you know how it's gotten to where we are today. So, who, who wants to take the definition and and then we'll shift to the history?
1: I'm happy to start. I mean, so SPAC stands for Special Purpose Acquisition Corporation. Um, Basically, it's a shell company that um, some sponsor uh, takes public when he takes when the sponsor takes this back public, they raise a bunch of cash. Um, And so then what you have is you have a public entity that's just sitting on a ton of cash. That cash is not in the sponsor's bank account. It's in a trustee's bank account. So that sponsor doesn't even have access to that cash. They can't touch it. And it's sitting in risk free government securities. Probably of two-year duration on average, which is how long the SPAC is eligible to be in those securities for before announcing a merger. And so, basically, if you buy into the IPO of the SPAC, um, the sponsor comes around to you know a bank and says, "Hey, I want to raise a SPAC." This the bank goes out to its clients and they say, "Hey, do you want to participate in this IPO?" And the people who participate in IPO, they get shares of the SPAC. Usually, they come public at about ten dollars a share. So for your share that you buy, you have ten dollars a share sitting in a trustee bank account, and you get a SPAC share and it trades for ten bucks. Um, over two years, if no deal is announced by the SPAC, you get back your ten bucks plus interest from the risk-free securities. So really, that's kind of your downside. If a deal is announced, or if no deal is announced, either way, your downside before the deal closes is ten bucks because you can choose when a deal is, let's say no deals announced, that's the first one, If no deals announced, you just get your 10 bucks back plus interest from the risk free securities. If a deal is announced, you then get to vote on whether you like the deal or not. If you vote yes, now you own shares in a company that merge with the SPAC. So now you own shares in a fundamental equity. If you vote no, you get your 10 bucks plus interest in cash back, and you give back this share to the sponsor. And so your downside from owning this thing is 10 bucks plus interest. That's how much you can get. Um, your upside, it's if the sponsor announces a deal that people like, the stock can go up and you know you could then own the upside of that acquisition. So, like if you trust the sponsor to get a good deal done at below market terms, then you could buy something at 10 where the downside is 10. You know the downside is 10. And you could wake up one morning and they announce a deal that everyone likes and the stock could open at 15. It could open up at 20. You could, you know, maybe it opens up at 11 and you decide you like the deal. So you vote yes to the deal. Then you keep your shares. And over the next two years, that stock can go up 5x, 10x. The most popular one that I think that's done really well over time was Burger King, which the parent is QSR, which I don't currently own. Um, And the, the name of that company is Restaurant Brands. And and Burger King, actually, the franchisor came public via SPAC, um, I think it was like in 2012 or something like that, but I don't remember the exact year, and the stock has done incredibly well. Um, the, con- the counterpoint is there are a lot of SPACs that have not done well at all. Typically, the sponsors have very little skin in the game. They put up a little bit of the capital. They take a decent amount of the economics through like a carry type structure, they, they vary by, you know, different facts have different carry structures, but they typically get warrants and or just straight equity in the deal they find and they put up very little capital to get that. And so um, they only have a two year clock that starts from the second they come public to find a deal. And like they get all this economic, all these economics, if they get a deal to close, And if they don't get a deal to close, they actually lose a little bit of money that they had to put up front to like set up the SPAC. And so when you get close to two years into the life of the SPAC, the sponsors just tend to overpay and and buy bad companies because they're like, you know what, I can get all this upside for free, who cares if it doesn't do that well, or the SPAC expires, everyone gets their cash back and I lost my upfront investment. And so there's a lot of incentives for sponsors to do pretty bad deals. Um, one other element I've rather to touch on is that if you participate in the IPO of the SPAC, if you buy those shares for 10 bucks, not only do you get the potential upside of the shares, you also get warrants associated with those shares as well. And so a lot of times when funds participate, they um, eventually once the warrants become freely tradable, whether they're at 50 cents or a dollar, maybe they hold on to them till the deal is announced, then they sell them for like two bucks, five bucks, ten bucks or maybe they just sell them right away and lower their basis from 10 to let's say 9.50 or nine bucks and then wait for a deal to get announced. But the beauty for those guys is the downside is n- nothing. Um, basically they're owning treasuries, right? And, and you could lever the crap out of that strategy because it's very stable, right? Um, like, because you could at any time after, after two years, you know you're gonna get your 10 bucks back or anytime a deal is announced, if you don't like it, you could vote no. It's basically a cash alternative, and so you could, for every dollar you have to invest, you could, in theory, buy five to ten bucks worth of SPACs and hope that, on average, some of them work out well, for the rest, you're just going to make the risk-free rate on. And so, like, they get the warrants, they get the common equity, they get to lever the crap out of it, and every once in a while, you end up with a Nikola, which I have no position in that can go from 10 bucks to like, I forgot where it peaked out. I don't know if any of you guys remember, maybe like- Yeah, six, I look, I'm just
2: looking right now, I think it got up to 70 something. 70
1: bucks. So like, and now it's
2: back down to 22, which is still, despite all, everything that
1: occurred to it, it's still at 22.97, right? So it's still a yeah, like double in a It's still a double from the SPAC price. So like, you have these event guys who just participate in any SPAC with any sponsor that they think could get a remotely reasonable deal done. And the sponsors basically have these blank check companies that then they go out and try to find merger partners with. And like, you know, if you wanna sell a company or if you wanna take it public and the bankers tell you, we think it's X valuation and private equity tells you, we think it's Y valuation and the sponsor, the SPAC sponsor comes and gives you Y plus 20%. Like, why would you not take it? And the sponsor wants to get a deal done. So like sometimes they are willing to overpay. Um, And a lot of times for the company that decides they wanna merge with a SPAC For them, it's it's kind of they have certainty on valuation because if you're going to go public and you want to do a typical IPO um, to raise cash, let's say, and to come public, you need to do a roadshow. You need to go meet with investors for months. You need to write an S one. You need to get the S one vetted by the SEC. All this time you're preparing for a year to let's say to come public, and then capital market you know and then March of 2020 happens. COVID hits, and the bankers tell you sorry, like your valuation just got cut in half or sorry, capital markets are shut down. You can't actually do a deal. And so a SPAC sponsor can say, Hey, why don't you just avoid doing that year? We could do two months of diligence. We could do it very quick. You have to deal with one party, not a thousand of potential investors. We'll tell you the valuation we'll come in at before you go through the whole, you know, dog and pony show. And if you like that valuation, you don't need to worry about what capital markets are going to do next year. You don't need to worry about whether there's going to be demand or not. Um, And so the the only downside to a company that wants to come public that way is they have certainty on valuation, but not certainty on the transaction actually getting done. Because if you own shares in the SPAC, you can vote to redeem your shares if you don't like the deal. So if everyone votes to redeem because no one likes the deal, then the company ends up without a transaction. And so lately what you've seen is the sponsors, as they announce these deals, at the same time, they announce a pipe, which is a private investment in a public entity, right. um, with a with a co-sponsor. And a lot of times that co-sponsor has some kind of high status or reputation in the industry or in the financial community that convinces people who own the SPAC shares that, look, not only was it vetted by the SPAC sponsor, it was also vetted by this pipe investor. The pipe investor we trust that they're a good investor. So we're not gonna vote to redeem our shares. We think this is a great deal. Right. So like,
0: what's the point of going through the whole process with the SPAC if they don't have a deal in the pipeline and then have, you know, a name, you know, in in the financial space that's like, yeah, no, this is, this is a good deal. You know, and I'm unaware, right?
2: Your own, you might, you might know better than me, but I'm unaware of one that's been rejected this year, right? I think everyone, every acquisition, uh, at least that I've seen, has been approved.
1: Yeah, I think so. What happens a lot of times is when the sponsor negotiates a valuation with the, the target, they'll say, OK, our spec is five hundred million dollars of cash or two hundred million dollars of cash. We'll we'll merge with you at X valuation and the condition and, and the target will say, fine, but we need to raise at least 200 or 300 million of your 500 in cash, if if more than two or 300 redeem, no transaction, the transactions off, but if if like 100 million redeem, we'll still do it. So a lot of times they have those kind of gates, I would say, if you go back and look at the history of these things, when you have very high redemption rate, that's just enough to get the deal done, the deals tend to perform very, very poorly. And when you have a high acceptance rate, they've tended to perform a little bit better over time. And like, that's kind of obvious. The SPAC guys who own it at 10 bucks, like if fundamental guys are like, wow, that sponsor just announced a great deal. They come and buy it from the SPAC guys at 10, 50, 11, 12, 13, 14. They're going to vote yes because they're excited about the deal. So you have a very high acceptance rate combined with uh, the, uh, the fundamental community, liking the business and liking the story and liking the management team. When the fundamental community is like, we're not sure about this deal. And the SPAC guys have to decide on their own, like, are we going to vote yes or vote no? And a lot of times the sponsor will come back and give like a little bit of enhanced economics to convince people to vote yes. And they kind of like push the deal through, but there's a big rejection rate. Those deals tend to perform very, very poorly over time. Um, yeah. So it's a very interesting dynamic. I think that it's gotten a lot of media attention. Um there there's here we are. yeah here we are <laughs> there's there's a variety of different sponsors some of which are nobodies that I don't know how you could trust them with your money but because the downside is like right like a Shaq sponsor for example in this in this mania that's going on right now um you still are going to get the risk free rate if you buy his back and you don't like the deal there's a shot that Robinhood investors or you know just Want to buy the Shacks back and take it from ten bucks to twelve bucks before he even announces a deal? There's a shot he announces a deal that's just like with LeBron James and Kanye combined. You know, they go out and find this company, this new shoe company that Kanye wants to start, and the stock goes to you know thirty bucks because retail investors get
0: excited about it. So like, there's a reason to buy the shacks back. I don't know. I might do that. I might do that deal though. Like Kanye shoes, they they sell, man. Those, yeah, those shoes. So- So I think
1: the only only way it's riskless for you, though, is if you get in at the IPO or if you buy in below the 10 bucks, right? Like a lot of times with these popular SPACs now, like with the Chamath ones that have been coming out, like the IPO price might be 10 bucks. If you have a good relationship with the IPO bank, you might get an allocation to that IPO at 10 bucks. But if you don't have a good relationship with them, you're not getting an allocation of 10 bucks. They don't open at 10, right? Because everyone... All like everyone's just assuming that they're going to go up when he announces a deal. So, like, they open at 1050, they open at 11, they open at 12. And so, I think in general, if you're going to buy in at 12 bucks for a $10 cash and trust value, you really need to believe that the sponsor knows what he's doing and is going to create a ton of value for you over
0: time. But there's, and but I, I mean, how do retail investors get access to the IPO price? I mean, they most of, I would imagine, I, mean, I would imagine they can't. Most don't. Yeah. Yeah. Most have to buy
1: at 11 bucks. And that's why the SPAC community has done very well. Like the people who have access to SPACs right now have done what better than they normally do because of this retail mania. And like, it's just anyone who has any kind of reputation or no reputation can raise a SPAC now because like people realize that you get this upside option, you know, upside optionality with very little downside if you get in at the IPO price. Um, I think that if you're going to buy in for the long run, like if you want to trust the management team, actually not just to play the SPAC arbitrage, but actually like trust the management team. I think you want someone with a history of making money and investing in the past. Um, You want someone with skin in the game. So like I do think like the Pershing Tontine SPAC vehicle where they put up a billion to two billion of their own capital into the deal. and they do have a little bit of more favorable economics for themselves than 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 a typical SPAC, meaning it's more favorable to the minority SPAC holders. Like they take less of the upside from the deal, but they still get a pretty good deal. I mean, they raised, I forgot what it was, $4 billion. Do you guys remember, 5 billion, um, whatever. But they are gonna get, in return for merging with some company, they're gonna get a warrant, like a five-year warrant probably 15 or 20% out of the money for 6% of the enterprise value of the thing they merge with. Right. So like if they merge with a $50 billion company, which like if a $50 billion company wants to raise 5 billion in IPO, maybe Bill Ackman can come to them and say, Hey, you don't need to raise 5 billion in IPO. You could just merge with my SPAC and get the 5 billion in return for that. He will put in a billion of his own money at that valuation of, the, of his funds money. He will also get a 6% warrant, For the whole 50 billion dollars so six percent at 50 he will have a warrant with three billion of notional value like 15 or 20 percent out of the money probably five years out which has enormous value right if 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 the 50 billion company doubles its value and turns into a 100 billion dollar company he will basically almost double the three billion dollar warrant so in addition to doubling his billion that he put into this back he will double the $3 billion warrant. He'll, he can make 4 billion on a $1 billion investment if that SPAC just doubles. So he can make 4X on a 2X if the SPAC doubles. And so like, I think, but that actually is a more favorable structure to his minority SPAC partners than the average SPAC deal. They usually take more of the upside than that 6%. Yeah. And so I think you wanna find guys who have a lot of skin in the game and who don't take as much of the upside as your typical SPAC guys, I think the Pershing vehicle is an example of that no position in anything Pershing. Um, but I think it's a good example where he put in a bill, uh, one to 2 billion of his funds money, and he's taking less than typical economics. I think the Chamath-, Chamath deals also are a good, which I don't know any of those are a good example of ones where there's skin in the game. He puts a few hundred million dollars of his own capital into almost every single one of them. And he's done successful deals in the past. He's clearly been a good investor. And so I just think if you're going to go out on a on a limb and like trust the sponsor, I think you need to know who the sponsor is, what their motivations are, what the track record is. Otherwise, like, unless you're just getting in at the IPO price of 10 bucks, you're taking a gamble. That's my spiel.
2: Yeah. And, and to, to, to your own kind of points here, a couple of, uh, uh of just kind of looking up online here while he's chatting, you know, the Chamas box, the SPACs, the ones that have not um have not, have not found a, um, an acquisition yet, they still trade at 1050 to 1135, right? So to the point that you're not getting in at $10 once the secondary market opens. So, you, you know, these popular SPAC IPOs, um, you know, if you have these relationships where you're with the investment banks, you're able to get in at the IPO. Great. Um, but immediately, you know, you're, you're getting, there's a five to 15% uh, return there. Um, on the secondary market, you know, once it begins trading um, in anticipation that these are gonna be successful. And yep. that's not typically the case. And so when you think about some SPACs uh, that are worth looking at the Chamath ones, the Ackman ones and things like that, there's going to be a Vision Fund one apparently coming out. I just saw this news yesterday. Um, and, and these are the ones that, you know, when they're already trading five, seven, 10, 15% up on the announcement and funding Uh, You know, the market obviously believes that they're going to find something uh, very attractive and accretive there. So, you know, I think taking a half step back about why this is occurring now, that's what I find interesting. And I think there are a couple elements to that. First of all, we're in a pandemic. The normal roadshow things are not happening. The normal due diligence that would happen during the IPO process is not happening. And I think that has some effect here. Uh, obviously, the, the capital markets are uh, you, in a unique situation, and if you're a company that was looking at coming public in this year's window, if you were planning last year and now that's gone, and you have all of this additional uncertainty, with these SPACs, you can have certainty, right? So you have certainty there, and then you look back at WeWork, right? If WeWork would have come public via SPAC rather than attempt to go through the IPO process, it would have been an entirely different situation. Look, arguably, Nikola was in a much, much, much more precarious situation with regards to their financials and their strategy and et cetera, et cetera. This was kind of before even the GM investment uh, as, as WeWork was right so when we work went through that process and i had you know different elements because of the the, the ceo and everything but uh, they could have come if, if vision fund would have had a spac and would have brought we work public through that heck it'd probably be trading at 30 35 bucks right now <laughs> right that's the environment we're in but instead it blows up and is near bankruptcy okay so i, I mean i think the we work debacle had something to do with it as well especially with all of, and, and then with all of the kind of upcoming and current uncertainty and uh, the day-to-day just issues with investment banking and how uh, normal the normal IPO roadshow process is is much different today. Uh, I, you know, look, I, I, uh, this is an interesting thing to follow. I don't have any investments in any spacs. I do have an investment in a company that is a sponsor, uh, and you know, it's it's potentially very attractive if they can consummate a deal because this particular company I won't list, uh, say the name here, but you know, they put up $30,000 and they get 20% ownership and it's a $300 million uh, fully funded SPAC, right? So, uh, and then they've got, you know, additional warrants. Um, They committed to put in additional capital as well. So, you know, the risk is they don't close on something. They got two years to do it, but if they do close on something, that $30,000 investment and some outside costs uh, in terms of finding that acquisition you know, it turns into $600 or $60 million uh, for in this particular company is relatively small. So it's attractive as a sponsor. There are a number of, you know, you've got the large ones at Chamath you know, the Vintage Fund going to do at Ackman, uh, but then on the smaller end, you've got some smaller companies as well. And uh, there are three or four that it would make uh, a third of the market cap, half of the market cap, if they consummated a deal. Now the chances of them consummating a deal are much lower, but uh, the fact that they, they started the SPAC, Uh, means they have something, you know, something in mind, and it it might be something that instead of a couple of these two companies that I'm particularly thinking about the smaller ones, public companies, they were planning on making acquisitions, full acquisitions. And now they launched the SPAC to make those acquisitions through the SPAC, which is more lucrative for the companies themselves. So these are companies that do have some sort of, you know, acquisition experience there. Uh, it's just a fascinating, fascinating uh, thing to look at an area in, in a moment in time. Don't know how long this is going to last. Uh, I would, if I was going to bet, I would bet on, uh, like your own said, these more established, uh, you know, sponsors. So it's someone like Chamath who has that experience. I mean, Ackman will likely get a deal done. I I, I would guess he would. And there's a couple different ways to play that. Uh, you, you know the SPAC itself, or you could play it through uh, his his uh, closed in fund or through his um, through his public company. And so, uh, you know, it's it's low risk and potentially high upside uh, there if if you want to play in this field. I would probably avoid the SPAC ETF though.
1: Well, Are there SPAC a... ETFs? There,
2: there's one that just uh, just made an announcement recently. Um, let me see if I can get you the ticker to it. SPAC ETF. SPAC ETF, yeah. Let me see if I can find it. I think it's SPAK. SPAK. (laughs) Yep. Wow. Yeah, amazing, huh? Wow. I wonder
1: what they hold. That's crazy. Well,
2: let's see here. Top holdings, you know, well, we'll see what pops up here. I I mean, this is a new thing. It just just kind of came up. Um, But in fact, it does not even give me access to the top holdings. So, but that's something you don't want to. Uh, from my opinion, I don't. I don't think you you want to own everything here, because you know, things could change very quickly, and these things can go out of style very quickly. And uh, I think this is a moment in time situation with a lot of dilution in terms of expertise, <laughs> and All right, a lot of scams out of it.
0: Well, let me ask you guys this, because like, I I remember when I first heard the word SPAC, you know, the initial thought process for me was like, it's like a a synonymous with being a holding company in some respects where you're looking at buying operating businesses, but it sounds like really, you just need one to start just to really get the thing going. The question
2: though is why, why would they become public via the SPAC, you know, and, and that's what makes it, whether it's a good investment or not. And there are some legitimate, reasons why it should uh, why a company would and especially if you're able to partner you know with an ackman or you're able to partner with a chamath or something like that that actually venture capital style provides additional um association positive things uh if if you're in a desperate situation if you're at the end of this closing in on the end of the two-year period and you know that's that's when some of these acquisitions they're kind of uh they're forced to be made because the sponsor needs to close something, somehow the sponsor convinces, uh, you know, the funders to accept it. And uh, th- that's where it gets a little bit more more dangerous, I think, as an outside investor. And I've seen that with a couple other companies I've looked at through the, you know, a couple that came through, came public via SPAC, uh, where, you know, they otherwise would not have been able to successfully gone through go through the roadshow, right? Or successfully IPO, or they might be in a situation where they're, you know, they 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 are in a more precarious financial situation. I think that's totally different than some of these uh, late stage venture uh, deals that are coming public through very established sponsors.
0: Right, because it sounds like most of these deals that are or these companies that are being looked at to go public via SPAC, we're not just talking about, because one of the things I thought to myself was, okay, is it because of the pandemic that we have some of these private companies that are like, you know what, you know, I'm looking for an exit. At this point, you know, yeah. and so, and I, I, and, and, I, I, and I, and I, and I took, I, I was going to say, like, I was, I took that thought process back because it doesn't really seem like that is really necessarily the case anyway, when it comes to, at least on the successful SPAC side. Yeah, if
1: you're looking for an exit, private equity is sitting on as much dry powder as it ever sat on. Right. Big, big companies are pretty well capitalized and are able to buy small competitors or small right. emerging yeah. uh, players if they want to do. And capital markets right now are wide open. If you want to come public the traditional way, credit markets, capital markets, I ju- I I think that you had a little SPAC mania. I think it was like in during the dot com bubble or in the housing bubble. I forgot which one. And then it all coll- a lot of them collapsed, and so people were turned off by the word SPAC for a long time. Well, and why did people- they collapse? Um, because they did bad deals. It's just bad right? deals. Like- okay. Like you basically need fundamental investors to believe in order for the SPAC ARB guys to want to buy in and and hope that they could hand it off to the fundamental believers and they make their money. The ARB guys do right. not want to take, they don't want to take fundamental risks. Like a lot of the ARB guys, they're out at 10 bucks, whether, you know, whether it's them redeeming their shares or them getting re- you know the redemption if no deal is found or them selling it to fundamental guys before they ever have to vote on whether they like the deal or not. So like when a deal is announced, if the stock goes to 12, the ARB guys sell it to the fundamental guys at 12 The fundamental guys, then take it and vote. Yes, we're going to approve to close this deal. We're not going to redeem the the initial SPAC buyers will vote most likely to redeem and not vote yes on your transaction. If they still own their shares a few months after you announce your deal. So you announce your deal, the, Fundamental. Then the, the management team goes out and pitches their story to the fundamental guys who hopefully come buy the shares away from the SPAC initial funders, and then they vote yes on the deal. If the fundamental guys don't come and buy the shares away from the in, initial IPO investors, you're most likely not going to get the deal done. So, like, if those fundamental guys get burned by SPACs over and over and over, and they're not there to buy the shares from the, the ARB guys then the ARB guys won't buy into the IPOs anymore because they don't want to just make risk free rate. Right. There's right. their cash is sitting in an account making one percent for two years with the option that they could wake up one morning and nickel merges with their SPAC. And it's and now instead of ten bucks, they wake up and it's worth 20 bucks with their downside. Basically zero. If the if the fundamental guys just don't believe anything anymore about SPAC line and don't bid it up to 20 bucks when a cool deal is announced the ARB guys will stop buying into the IPOs and then sponsors won't be able to raise the initial capital. So like when there is retail mania, I think it's much easier to go out and raise facts because then the ARB guys are like, okay, I get a free option on the retail mania. Right now, if you want an option to double your money in three months, you have to go out and buy some of this high flyer stuff. that can go down 50 or 70% if the market turns on you, or you could buy shares in a SPAC Your downside is zero, and you could wake up one morning and wake up and you 2x your money. So, like, I think if you want to bet on retail mania with limited downside, SPAC is an interesting way to do it. Bankers obviously realize that. SPAC sponsors obviously realize that. Everyone makes a lot of money when all this stuff works. And so, of course, you're going to see volumes skyrocket.
2: And when does it stop working? Here's the, here's the, the question. Right. Because it will. And these terrible deals that happened at the last of at the end of the last spec mania that took ten years to recover to you know have it have it be popular again, uh, here we are. And so I, I don't know what the answer to that is, but it will end. Uh, it will end because there'll there'll be less uh, retail investor mania and there'll be a lot of bad deals. And you know once once that happens, uh, you know I, I here's the question: Where does Nikola trade? uh, in 2023, you know, it got up to the high $70, went from 10, right. To the high seventies, it's back down to 22. Uh, GM has an investment. The CEO is out, um, which if I was a CEO, I would have got out too. You know, obviously he had a lot of other things going on, but cash in those couple billion dollars and go live your life and not have to deal with all the fallout that's going to happen in the next few years. Uh, what do you guys think i'll ask both of you 2023 is nicola bankrupt what's this st- or wh- where does the stock trade
1: i won't i have no view I, I, don't, I mean i i really don't understand the company or the technology i could see how it could be a bag of air i also could see how jeff Ubbin, who's like the former value act yeah you know ceo who now has his own fund that's an esg fund i could see his assertion being accurate, where it's like, do you think all these sophisticated parties would sign up to doing business with this company if they did no diligence and didn't believe in the technology? So like, I'm not smart enough to have a view on whether that technology is real or not. Like I did see the same thing happen in Theranos where you had Walgreens sign up and you had a bunch of these very successful people sign up to the board and you had Rupert Murdoch put in a few hundred million dollars of his own personal money. And I would have thought the same thing, like how are all these sophisticated counterparties going to get conned by, you know, something that isn't real. And then obviously they all got conned and lost all their money. So like, I could see that happening with Nicola, but I also could see Ubin's assertion where it's like, these guys aren't stupid. If they put in money, the technology is real. Maybe it's a little bit further behind than, you know, the public market initially thought maybe we we were too early to come public. Maybe we should have waited longer, but the technology is real. I don't know which one it is. So I won't take a bet. Like it yeah. could be, and that's,
2: that's what I'm good at getting at. I, the, the Theranos thing was exactly what I had in my mind as well. Oh, she would have come public and, via SPAC right now. And, totally.
1: and, and the company, the company would have gone, I mean, that, that SPAC would have gone from 10 to like 50 for sure. Exactly.
2: Exactly. And, and they, they would have used those proceeds. They would have done a, you know, again, their pipe deal involved. There would have been a follow on at some point as well. Um, and, uh, instead that, of going to jail that, she
1: would instead of going to jail she would be a billionaire
2: yeah she'd be a crazy. billionaire and they would use that money to fund to actually you know attempt to develop these things in a legitimate way but that's the environment we're in right now and and that was my point about 2023 is look it's i believe it will be over by then this mania and maybe probably uh much sooner and so then where do all these deals go with Nicola as kind of a metaphor for all the deals, you know, not to get specifically into, uh, to, I mean, to your own part, I totally agree it could, it could be nothing or it could be, uh, it could be very successful over time you do have some very, very smart people involved there, but as a metaphor for a company that um, perhaps could not have come public via the traditional IPO process does it through the SPAC, what do these groups of companies look like in two or three years from now, and I, I, I
1: have- I have I have absolutely no problem with um, companies. Well, I have no problem with companies having access to low cost of capital. I think it's a great thing. Like if you have people who are visionaries, who are trying to change the world for the better, the more access the cheap capital they have, the better in my eyes, you know, like people who are trying to solve, people who are trying to solve world hunger and uh, world pollution and healthcare, and all this stuff, like I want them to have as much access to low-cost funding as possible. Obviously, that comes with some baggage. There are some people who aren't really adding value, aren't, who aren't even trying to add value, who are just bleaching off that. But like, I have no problem if 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 retail investors want to, you know, buy the dream and fund these, and eventually some of them could work out. You know, like Tesla had access to low-cost funding, and the haters hated for a very long time. I've been a skeptic. I'm not like I have been over the years, but like he could not have done what he's done to this point without access to low cost funding. And he's pushing other OEMs really hard to get their act together, something they wouldn't have done without him pushing them. So like it's a net benefit to the world as much as people like might not like the way he does it or his personality and like You know, you could see an alternative version of this of his story where he ends up like more like Elizabeth Holmes or Trevor Milton or whatever of Nikola. I mean, he could have ended up You know, just as easily down that path if capital markets turned against him at the wrong time. But like the fact is they supported him and he's changing the world for the better because of it. And like I have no problem if people want to give low cost funding to people who are visionaries who want to try to change the future and like if those people who are giving them access to those funds view it as a VC like investment that they're willing to lose with a lot of potential upside, if it works, then like, you know, it could work out for them if they build a portfolio of the right ones, who knows, and that's
2: the environment we're in right now, where, yeah. where there is interest in doing that, right, yes. in this specific asset class. And you know, that's how things you look at the last 20 years, right, 23 years, you had the the dot com bubble, uh, that burst, you know, people moved on from that, You had, obviously, you had a great deal of uh, a low cost of capital well, through fed policy. and then that led into the real estate bubble. You had the collapse of that. there was you know an eight year time period where no one wanted to invest in real estate. Uh, there was private equity bubble, you know kind of now gets back into the stock market here. and, and that's kind of where we're at and that's the nature of things. the, the I don't, I'm not going to say this is specifically a bubble, but there seems to be obviously a lot of, of interest at this particular time. And uh, we'll move on from this, just like we always have. We'll, we'll see what asset class we go to next, and we'll see how long it lasts. And so, our goal, I think, as investors, right, is well, how can we play it in a way that's lower risk and and uh, you know doesn't have us holding the bag at the end of that time period?
0: Yeah, I mean, a couple follow ups that I had from this, you know, and uh, oh, there he is, uh, you know, a couple follow ups that I had from this, you know, thinking about okay, SPAC market is here right now, okay we all agree it could go away, whether it's a couple years next year, a couple months, you know, we don't know when this is kind of going away, but I mean, are we going to be left holding or seeing, you know, a bunch of companies that went public via SPAC that, you know, we're just capitalizing on a mania or, or some sort of trend right now. I mean, are we going to start seeing a bunch of, you know, EV companies that went public via SPAC that are now just gone or, you know, uh, you name the trend that's uh, crypto. I don't know. You know, are we going to I mean, start? There, with-
1: there will be like bag holders. There will be spag holders holding the spag.
0: <laughs> there will spag be people. Holders. There will be people left holding the spag. Sorry, we're not I laughing think- at anybody's unfortunate that may happen from this. You, you know what, though, I don't want anyone to lose I don't want anyone to lose money. No, no, of course not. But, but it was like, their I, own decision.
2: And and yeah. the, here's the thing: is once you get, we're not to the late stage of it yet. I think that's that's yeah. fairly obvious. Once you get to the late stage, it's going to be cannabis. Crypto and and everything like that, and we're not quite there yet, but maybe we will be in a year and a half as as we're hitting the time period of some of these. I do
1: think it's un- I do think it's unfortunate that you do have people who are just financially motivated taking advantage of this opportunity to just raise money, even though they don't really know what they're doing or have a clear vision for how they want to change the world by doing so. I do think it's unfortunate because they're going to end up ruining it for the guys who do have a clear vision and who do want to add value by. Raising these facts. Um, and, but I don't think like you're going to have more zombie companies because of this than maybe you will, maybe you will. But like it's similar to like, you know, the VC bubble that funded a lot of companies that might not have existed if there was no VC bubble. The, the first one that comes right. to mind as I think about it is like, I do think if there was no VC bubble, there would never be an Uber competitor in the US. I think like the fact that there's Lyft was only because it was people were willing to fund a number two player in a market that like, if you thought about should have been kind of winner take all. Like if you think about StubHub, if you think about eBay, if you think about Amazon, like you think about marketplaces in general, there's like one big marketplace to buy stuff at. Oh, the other one that comes to mind is all these food delivery delivery platforms, right? Like they're really like, if you want to buy tickets, you go to StubHub maybe now because Ticketmaster was so dominant in or Live Nation was so dominant in like, you know, in initial sales of tickets, that they were able to build a resale platform as well. But like, they funded that with internal profits. They didn't like, it wasn't a pure speculative bet. But I would think like a food delivery platform, like there really should only be one a car, you know, a ride hailing service, there really should only be one. And that platform should be dominant and very profitable. And the fact that they're not is because I think there was a VC bubble. I do think like, The SPAC bubble might lead to similar outcomes for a lot of these companies. But again, I I mean, I'm willing to live with other people suffering the consequences of, of, you know, irresponsible bets with, with sponsors that they don't know anything about and don't, you know, end up delivering if it gives access to the low cost funding for the guys who really are trying yeah, to change the world and the
2: customer's benefit from that you know, you know that that's the entire point here is that so you have some people who will you know investors who maybe don't understand what stage they're in and and make some foolish investments at, at the end And they're not just retail i mean sometimes they're professional as well but those who benefit you know Uber and Lyft the customers and the recipients get lower lower cost rides right so there is a subsidy back to that because you know generally they're operating um, at, a, at a cost uh, that's that's higher than their revenue. So, you know, same thing. There are certain industries here, and we'll see how this all plays out in the next five, seven, 10 years, you know, whether there's consolidation or certainly uh, some of these companies might or will go away as all part of the creative destruction process. Uh, and, you know, look, the SPACs, uh, the SPACs are away here, um, that it's a little more public looking as well. You know, if some of this happened in uh, the VC world and the private equity world where the average Person doesn't have access to that, and they do though in the specs. And you know, everybody can't open up a Robinhood account. That's obviously been a popular thing here during COVID as a a way to um, uh, to, to I don't know, quote unquote gamble in some ways, <laughs> while sports gambling was gone too. And uh, you know, so so younger people and, and others like that can talk about it, whereas they just did not have access to kind of investing in a PE fund as an individual. Uh, so yeah, you know, I think it's a it's a fascinating discussion Discussion here. I don't know. I mean your own obviously you're following it very closely. Do you you don't have to give away the names, but are you seriously looking at or investing in any of these companies? I'm
1: not. In, well, I am invested in one company that came public via SPAC in 2016. They merged with a SPAC sponsor. Um, the, the name of the company is Limbock Holdings at ticker's yeah. LMB. I own it. Um, I think that They initially burned the initial buyers, the fundamental buyers of the SPAC deal. They disappointed on their fundamental performance. They um, took their eye off the ball in terms of their balance sheet and their working capital management. So they got pretty liquidity constrained and almost ran out of money and had to go out and borrow money at 13% interest in order to stay in business. And so people got fed up and sold it down. After the deal was announced, they went from 10, like 15 or 16 and then it went down as low as two um because everyone lost faith in them um so i own a a a broken spac that's now in the rehab in rehab and i think is going to make its way out of rehab at some point in the next (laughs) yeah and it's a
2: 930 right now just to just to put put a price on it here so it's really amazing it got down to two dollars and and you get into these situations spac or no spac i mean where it's basically the the equity the stock price is a call option on the survival of the company when it gets down to that price. It's not a bad idea to have a little basket of those every once in a while.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, there are a bunch of those that go from 10 to 15 down to two and some of them go from two to bankrupt and some of them go from two back to 10. And like the reality is if it's a relatively unlevered company and it goes from the initial stack price of 10 down to two, then the enterprise value that, you know, may have been 15 or 20% too expensive at the time of the SPAC transaction is now might be 70 or 80% cheaper than that 15 or 20% too expensive. So they could get really interesting. I do think it's an interesting place to fish in the, the areas where like unsophisticated buyers buy them from 10 to 15, then get scared and puke them from 15 down to two. Like if you see SPACs at two or three bucks, like Generally, they're hated. People don't trust the management teams anymore. They burned a bunch of investors, and like the only one I currently own is Limbach. I've looked at others in the past. Um, I think there are others that have gone from two back to you know ten or whatever. Um, there's energy and infrastructure. What's is it? IEA or EIA? Uh, IEA infrastructure and energy alternatives. Uh, the alternatives they came public via SPAC a few years ago. The stock got as low as like a buck 70 and now it's back up to eight bucks. Um I think I think I,
2: your own point is put an alert on two dollars and fifty cents. Anytime a SPAC goes below that, get a basket of those, half will go bankrupt,
1: half will go up to eight. Yeah, the mattress, <laughs> the mattress company purple innovations yeah. that they com- that competes with with uh with uh, Casper, like that came public via SPAC. It got as high as like it sold off right when the deal closed, actually, down until like the five dollar range. And now it's at thirty bucks. Um, and I think there's one more I'm thinking about. Um,
0: so we we did a whole we did a whole uh, episode on the uh, avoiding the crowd with Maj Don on purple and just looking at that a portfolio protection series episode just on that. Oh, so,
1: interesting. interesting. Yeah, so, all right. yeah. Yeah. I just think, I think like broken SPACs are an interesting pl- place to fish. I think if you can get an allocation to what you know is going to be a popular SPAC at the IPO, I highly recommend, well, I actually don't, I don't give investment advice actually, but I would highly recommend myself if I were <laughs> advising myself to subscribe to as many shares as I could in that SPAC, because I do think it's an interesting option and I would treat it like cash in my portfolio. So like, I wouldn't treat it as exposure really. Um, and I do think there are interesting ways, like um, to Steve's point, like the Pershing vehicle, the closed-ended vehicle, if the SPAC announces a good deal, like I said earlier, he has the billion of the funds equity that he's going to be putting into this thing. He's also going to have 6% warrants on the SPAC target. Those 6% warrants are going to belong to the closed-ended vehicle in addition to the, the, the off- his offshore fund as well. Um, and probably his onshore, onshore and offshore funds as well. But like that could end up increasing NAV of his closed-ended fund by a fair amount if the stack performs well, like a lot. Like it could, you know, provide 30% upside, 50% upside to his closed-ended fund. So like if he announces a deal that you like, maybe that's an interesting way to play it. Um, so like I definitely keep my eyes on it. I think anytime you have a big wave of investors into something, you know, there's a potential for them to all panic out. I just think it's interesting. I'm, I'm genuinely curious. I keep my eyes on it, but I'm not very involved right now. No. How about you? Hey, well,
0: oh, sorry, Stephen. Yeah.
2: No, the only, the only thing I own is the smaller company. That's a sponsor. Uh, and I think, you know, that's, that's kind of the area where I'm looking at. I actually did for a short time period several years ago on Limbok as well. Um, and and uh, this is a a couple month time period of the warrants but um, yeah right now I don't have any specs it is an area an interesting area to look at especially as you're as you're kind of a special situation investor you're looking for company specific uh things here uh because look there's in certain certain uh instances it could be low risk and very high reward as we've discussed i like this idea of the sponsors though if the sponsors can consummate a deal and if the the company themselves are not sponsor themselves. If it's a public company or there's a way to play it publicly, uh, if the one I'm, I'm holding, for example, it already trades at like a 30% discount to its liquidation value. And you have this additional, uh, potential upside here, uh, if the SPAC finds an acquisition and it is already fully funded, you know, you've got another situation with some smaller companies where again, it's a am uh, thinking about one in particular, again, don't want to share the name, but you could. You know it would mean thirty to forty percent of the market cap of the company itself, which is very interesting. And as long as the company is attractive attractively priced now, uh, that you're getting free look at that upside. Uh, the Ackman vehicle is interesting as well on the sponsor side. So I, I would look at the sponsor side. Uh, I am looking at the sponsor side and uh, you know, be very selective on the actual spec side itself. But I guess you know, to your own point too earlier, Maybe maybe the other way to play it, I don't know this, I'm not doing this, but maybe the other way to play it is look at these broken SPACs, because those, those companies who publicly look very, very bad, that's where there's potentially the most upside, if you can take a basket approach or be diversified. I, mean, I typically don't do that. Um, but it's, you know, when, when it's a possibility of bankruptcy, and if there's not a bankruptcy, it's a 5x that's not a bad way to look at it. If you can I mean, diversify- if a management
1: team, if a SPAC sponsor is very close to not getting a deal done and they want to get the deal done, because there's a lot of economics that would accrue to them, they could over be overly promotional in trying to convince fundamental buyers to buy the shares before the transaction closes and vote yes for the transaction and not to redeem the shares. So like, you Could have situations where, like, if it's not that well received up front, they become overly promotional to get the deal done. Then you have a bunch of disappointed investors, but maybe the business isn't that bad. And I think, I mean, that's that's the bet I'm making on Limbok. That's the bet I've made, and that's the bet I'm making. So, yeah. hey,
0: what one last question on on SPACs just to kind of wrap it up here. I mean, from from kind of like a, I, I guess you'd say from a, a technical side, when you know, these things are are announced and whatnot i mean are they typically announced with the potential deal in mind or they usually just announced with the sponsor the lead investor and then like here's our vision like we're going to go after a media company or tech company you know what what's usually how 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 it's marketed and put out there it's usually a sponsor um
1: who says Give me a bunch of cash. I mean, they're going to go out and try to find an acquisition. And like you said, media or tech or just anything I see fit. If I'm a really good investor, no, um, you know, there's no pipe yet. There's no uh, target in mind yet. And then they go out, they have a two year period where they act like a private equity firm. You know, they call bankers and they're like, hey, show me any deals you might have. They might do management meetings. They might submit LOIs on potential targets. Then if the LOI is accepted, maybe they do a a deeper dive of due diligence. Then they like try to move the LOI into a definitive purchase agreement, finalize it, all the legal docs. And then once they're ready to announce the deal, once everyone's ready to sign, they file an AK saying, today, SPAC company F is merging with fundamental company B at this valuation. Please see the, our attached investor investor presentation. They usually put out a deck, whether it's like a fifteen or thirty page deck, talking about the business and why they think it's an interesting opportunity for investors to own it, and why they're coming public, and and then that, and then they and oh and then the management team of the target they do kind of like a mini roadshow to try to convince fundamental buyers to buy the stack shares from the event guy who signed up for the initial IPO and vote yes for the deal that's kind of how it plays out. Got it. All right.
2: You know, I was just looking while, while your own was talking there. I mean, the Pershing Square, it's still a massive discount to NAV. It's, it's really crazy. And I, it's amazing that you get some of these SPACs that get bid up uh, after the acquisition is made and things like that. Where on the other hand, some of the sponsors uh, that have not yet consummated an acquisition are trading at significant discounts to to their liquidation values and NAVs, such as Pershing Square and such as my holding and a couple other holdings that, that are a couple others on my watch list. And I I don't I wonder why that is. Maybe it's a misunderstanding from the retail world about the value uh of the sponsor, you know, what what value would go to sponsors. Um I, I don't know. Maybe the sponsors haven't been talked about as much, but it is crazy to me, you know, Pershing Square has traded at such a discount for some time now. Uh and you know, the fact that as your own mentioned, there's so, so much potential upside. If a a deal does get done that it's, you would think it would trade at least close to NAV to give some respect for that upside. Absolutely.
0: I agree. I agree. All right, guys, I think, I think I think we covered it. I don't know. Is there anything else that we that we missed in this? Uh, what the hell is going on here with Spax? You know, I, I feel like I got most of my questions answered. And the only
1: question I have is why don't the three of us get together and form a spacquisition vehicle? Spacquisition. We can call it spectacular.
2: How um, many funds spack. can we come up with? I think that's the you know, we got a SPAC that. We got a, a acquisition vehicle. Uh, a, we got a, the, SPAC, SPAC. the
0: SPAC We got the spag holder. That I think we said holders. that earlier. I like that one. I mean, dude, there's let's just keep going. We'll we we'll have to save that one for part 2 of this discussion. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, look, we got we got the marketing down. Uh so so we'll, we'll, we'll run with that. And uh, hopefully we won't be the late stage guys. A
0: spodcast? Would you call it a spodcast? <laughs> spodcast. Yeah, a spodcast. spodcast. Spack it to yeah. me. Yeah, spack it to me. <laughs> That's good. All right, guys. Um, we're let's uh, we're we're there. Let's close it out. Where can my audience go and find more information about you and follow you? So, uh, Stephen, let's start with you.
2: Yeah. Well, thanks. This was fun today, guys. Uh, your own, obviously, a lot of great information. Uh, I appreciate that, and uh, it's always a fun conversation here. Uh, and I, I think there's some interesting, again, some interesting ideas, uh, especially for those who are listening, I would just say, look at the sponsor side and let us know if you find any other interesting ones that uh, that are trading at NAV or below with that potential upside, because that also is an attractive way to potentially play this. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, uh, Steven underscore Keel. that's with Stephen with a V, last name K-I-E-L. I'm at Arketos.com. arketos Capital is my fund, and then uh, Willow Oak Asset Management is... Uh, uh, a company I'm associated with that provides operational services to uh, funds as well. So you can find us at willowoakfunds.com.
1: Very good. You're wrong. This was fun. Uh, thanks for the time, as always, guys. You all can find me uh, on Twitter. The handle is one main capital, the number one, then the word main, M A I N capital. My contact information and website info is on my Twitter page as well. And so we look forward to connecting with everyone.
0: Very good. All right. Well, this has been the Investors Roundtable. Um, I'm your host, Robert Kraft. You can find me again on Twitter at Bobby K. Kraft, B-O-B-B-Y-K-K-R-A-F-T. You can listen to every episode of the Investors Roundtable on our YouTube channel, youtube.com snnwire wire And thank you all for watching. Thank you, Yorona and Steve, for participating. And uh, I'll spack you later. Oh, there it is. Out. It's the, the, spack out. <laughs> later, guys. See ya.